Hello, hello! Welcome! This is the Pinoy Beatles Podcast. Bratman from the Brad Cave. Each episode, we'll talk about the Beatles from the perspective of a diehard fan from the Philippines. We'll talk about the albums, the solo albums from John, Paul, George, and Ringo, trivia on how the albums were made, and then we will have a nerd section to talk about musical gear. And finally, some notable cover versions of the songs and where you can find them. Some quick facts about me, I've been a Beatles fan for 40 years, and I'm a wannabe songwriter and musician. So episode number one, we'll start with a big one. This is what Rolling Stone magazine says is the greatest album of all time, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I have the vinyl version right here, but of course, I won't play it to make sure we don't get caught by the copyright police. Shh. This has one of the most iconic covers of all time. We have the Beatles, dressed as a marching band, surrounded by pictures and cutouts of famous people from the 1960s and the past. You can see Elvis Presley, you can see Bob Dylan there, Mae West, and even the Beatlemania era wax figures of the Beatles in suits. It looks a bit like a funeral, but who died? Hmm. The inside sleeve picture is a headshot of the four Beatles, all of them now with facial hair. Paul wears the blue jacket, John lime green, George bright red, and Ringo, of course, in shocking fuchsia. The back cover features the lyrics of the songs, which was the first time this was done in any album, George, John, and Ringo are facing us, but Paul has his back turned. Is he dead? Quote-unquote, the Paul is dead rumor was one of the big things in the mid-1960s, but that's a topic for another episode. So the verdict, just for the cover, it's a freaking work of art. Now, some quick facts about the album. This was the first album recorded and released by the Beatles after they decided to stop touring. They were touring non-stop between 1960 and 1966 and also recording albums, also making movies, and also guesting on TV. They played their last concert on August 1966 in San Francisco. A month before that, they were in Asia, they played in Japan, they played in the Philippines. On July 4, 1966, they played two shows at the Rizal Memorial Coliseum, an afternoon and an evening show. And then, politics and power reared its ugly head. I won't tell the whole story here. I'll just post a link on an article from Esquire magazine in the show notes. Suffice it to say, the Beatles were bullied and mistreated by the powers that be in the Philippines in 1966. 
After that, they continued their tour in the US and then they quit. They took a three-month hiatus from anything Beatles-related and did their own things. McCartney composed a score for the British film The Family Way, while John Lennon acted in the film How I Won the War. This vacation got them recharged. They reconvened in November 1966 and worked on two songs that were supposed to be in Sgt. Pepper's. Can you guess which songs? Give you five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Strawberry Feels Forever and Penny Lane are the correct answers, which were not on Sgt. Pepper's. And these are now absolute classics. George Martin, the producer of the Beatles, was once quoted as saying that one of his biggest regrets was not including these two songs on the Sgt. Pepper's album. It would have made the album an even bigger monster. Instead, the songs were released as a double-sided 45 RPM single and later in 1967 as part of the Magical Mystery Tour EP. Recording and mixing of Sgt. Pepper's lasted until around May 1967 The engineers estimated that they spent something like 700 hours on the album, compared to around 10 to 18 hours on the very first album that the Beatles made, Please Please Me. The album was released in late May, early June 1967. It was a summer of love. In the Philippines, I'm not sure when it was released, not really familiar with how these things worked back then. So if anyone out there knows or remembers when this was released in the Philippines, please drop us a line. The album was both a critical and commercial success and was the very first rock album to win the Grammy Award for Album of the Year. Another quick fact, this is the album where the Beatles took the concept of the studio as an instrument seriously and to full fruition. They were already doing some measure of that in previous albums. Example, tape loops in Revolver, string quartets in Eleanor Rigby and Yesterday. But it was in Sgt. Pepper's because they didn't have the pressure of touring, the pressure of making movies, that they took their time and experimented. Did a lot of weird things using the, if you think about it, relatively primitive technology available in 1967. This album was recorded on a four-track analog tape machine. In comparison, recordings today with computers have virtually unlimited tracks. It's like calculating a path of a rocket ship to the moon. The Beatles used a calculator and succeeded. Today's artists are using supercomputers and GPS and I have no further comments on today's music. So in spite of the limitations of the recording technology, or maybe even because of the limitations, the Beatles and George Martin were able to produce an absolute masterpiece. Now on to the nerd part of the show, which is all about gear. Based on what I read in Guitar Magazine and other sources, they used mostly the same gear that they've been using on previous albums. There's a lot of Epiphone Casino in there, which McCartney introduced to George and John. The Casino is a hollow-body electric guitar. It was relatively cheap, just the way the Beatles liked their instruments. Cheap. Paul brought it to the band 
George and John got their own, and it was John who made the look of the casino iconic. They also used a Fender Esquire, which is like a Telecaster. And then Paul, at this point, was using a Rickenbacker 4001 to replace the Honor violin bass he was using since the start of the band. What was different in this album was how they used the gear. For example, they used speakers as microphones. They used a Leslie rotating speaker, usually attached to a Hammond organ, as a guitar effect, which was new at that time. And then there's the orchestra. Classically trained players, they use them in a non-conventional way, which we will discuss later. We also see the return of the string quartet on one song, a marching band on some songs, we have a harmonium, we have sound effects, we have crowd noise. The album just had a lot of textures, getting away from that twangy guitar, drum bass, band sound, which really was what set the Beatles apart from the competition and which what makes the album sound so fresh today as it was back then. Now, before we go to a song-by-song review of the album, let's just get this out of the way. In 1978, at the height of the disco era, there was a movie and a soundtrack album that was released called Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It starred the Bee Gees, who were the hottest group in disco then, and Peter Frampton, the biggest star of uh, what was left of pop music. The soundtrack album was pleasant enough and included songs from Sgt. Pepper's as well as from Abbey Road. The movie was both a critical and financial failure. But I mention it here because I have to thank the soundtrack for introducing me to the music of the Beatles. In the late 1970s, radio was dominated by disco and Barry Manilow, sometimes in the same song, like Copacabana. It was really only during the release of the movie that they played songs like Here Comes the Sun, and my favorite as a kid, The Long and Winding Road, sang by Peter Frampton. I was pleasantly surprised later on to find out that The Long and Winding Road was actually a Beatles song. Yippee! Now on to the songs from the album. Side 1, track number 1, is the title track, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. This was from an idea by Paul to disguise the Beatles as a different band. Lead vocals by Paul, it starts off with crowd noise and the sound of an orchestra tuning up. Then a nasty guitar riff by Paul and power vocals shouting it, it was 20 years ago today. A harmonic chorus and a brass band playing the ad-lib. Now a notable version of the song was during the Live 8 performance in London in 2005 by Paul McCartney and U2. There's a link on the show notes on YouTube. Paul McCartney rocking a casino and singing lead vocals with Bono joining him on the chorus and bridge. The Edge also played the casino and we had a brass section dressed up as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. At the end of this song, the Beatles introduce a singer, Billy Shears, which is supposed to be the name of the lead singer of the band and it transitioned into the next song with a little help from my friends with lead vocals by Ringo. 
John and Paul wrote it, and Ringo、uh, sold it. I didn't say sang it. Ringo, he delivers songs. He sells you songs. It makes you feel really good. This is one of the most uplifting songs you will hear in the Beatles catalog. Now, one popular version of this song is by Joe Cocker, who turned it into a soul-burning, passionate torch song in three-four time. Really awesome! Check it out on the links. The third song is for me the first highlight of the album, "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds," written mostly by John, who did the lead vocals as well. The official story for the song is that John wrote this after seeing a drawing of his young son Julian of a girl classmate named Lucy. The drawing showed Lucy in the sky with diamonds, but of course the critics say it's about the drug LSD, especially considering the psychedelic imagery in the song. I've always loved the song, especially the intro. Which is a very nice descending chord progression, which our band stole in one of our songs. Now listen to this. So that was the intro to the song "No One Can See You Cry" by my former band, My Alien Mojo. I've posted a Spotify link in case you're interested to check us out. We borrowed the intro from "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." This song also has one of my favorite bass lines from Paul. Side note: I really love the bass lines of the songs that Paul does not sing vocals on, as they usually are very melodic. In terms of covers, this becomes one of my trick trivia questions. The question goes like this: Which song from Sgt. Pepper's went to number one on the U.S. Billboard charts? Now, die-hard Beatles fans know that no singles were released from the album. But remember, I asked which song, not which track. The answer, of course, "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds," but not by the Beatles. It was Elton John. Who had the reggae and pop version of Lucy that he took to number one on the U.S. Billboard charts in 1976? Tricked you, didn't I? The next song has Paul on lead vocals. Getting better、It、was jointly written by John and Paul, and it's one of the heavier rock sounds on the album. As usual, Paul is optimistic. He says it's getting better all the time, while John is pessimistic. He sings, "Couldn't get no worse." In the counterpoint, now I'm not familiar with any notable covers of this song, so we'll skip that. The next song is one of my favorites as a kid, "Fixing a Hole," a song by Paul. It's like a stream of consciousness song. And I've always felt that this song was the main inspiration for one of the more popular Filipino songs of the 1970s, "Pumapatak na naman ng ulan" by Apo Hiking Society. It's similar in concept, a stream of consciousness triggered by rain falling on a roof. 
I'm not sure about this. So if you have any confirmation or come across an interview with Danny Javier, or if you know Danny Javier, go on and ask him. And then please let me know, because this has been bugging me for the past four decades. The last song on side A for the vinyl version and the tape version as well is Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. It is by John Lennon. And if you look at the lyrics, it's quite weird because it came from a poster that John saw for a 19th century circus event. It has a lot of weird lyrics like who's sponsoring the circus, who are the performers, what they're gonna do, they're gonna jump through fire. The middle portion is sort of a waltz and does sound like a carousel. My favorite quote-unquote cover version of the song is by Paul McCartney who has been playing this song in his live sets for the past few years. And during the middle portion, he puts on a light show which emulates a carnival atmosphere inside the concert stadium. So that's it for side A. We'll now turn over the vinyl or the cassette and go on over to side B. Now the first song on side B is Within You Without You, the only George Harrison song on the album. It's Indian-inspired. George learned how to play sitar under Ravi Shankar. It also has some tabla and then some string instrumentation as well. The lyrics are very spiritual and did not connect with me when I was a younger kid. But now, you know, I understand it a lot better and in fact, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. One weird thing about this song is, even though it's very serious, at the end of the song, George gives out a laugh. Next is When I'm 64 by Paul McCartney. I really like this as a kid because it has a very beautiful melody and the lyrics are quite light and easy to understand. But John calls this granny music from Paul. Something similar to music from the 1920s, 1930s, old time music, which Paul really likes because he does something like this again in the next album. And the irony is that in 2002, John's son, Julian, did a cover version of this as part of a commercial for an insurance company. And you'll see that in the show notes. Next is Lovely Rita, Mirror Maid by Paul McCartney, inspired by a news article that Paul saw about a meter maid who just retired. So you see the Beatles getting their inspiration from really the mundane things like newspapers and old posters. Next is a John Lennon song, Good Morning, Good Morning, inspired by, what else, a breakfast cereal. The penultimate song on the album is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, Reprise, which is really just a repeat of the Sgt. Pepper song played at a faster tempo and with heavier instrumentation. And it's a proper goodbye by the band to the audience, making sure that the audience enjoy the show, but they're sorry that it's time to go. Last track of the album is A Day in a Life, and this is The Monster. 
Rolling Stone magazine calls this the greatest song of the Beatles, and I do agree. It's a John song primarily, with a haunting melody, and then there's Paul in the middle, with sort of the granny song again. But what really makes this song different is how they transitioned from the John part to the Paul part. Remember the orchestra I mentioned earlier? Well, they hired an orchestra, classically trained musicians, to play the transition between John and Paul. What they asked the players to do was to play their instruments from the lowest note to the highest note and at their own pace. So imagine the kind of chaos and cacophony and dissonance that that produced. But George Martin and the Beatles and the engineers were able to turn that chaos into something awesome. Now in terms of lyrics, again, John Lennon took the lyrics from a newspaper article about an accident. Paul McCartney, again, used the stream of consciousness technique to write his lyrics to his granny song. In terms of covers, Sting in the mid-90s included his version of A Day in a Life in his live set list. In fact, I was able to catch his version of A Day in a Life during his concert in the Philippines in 1994 at the Ultra in Pasig. If you can find the Demolition Man EP, Sting has his version of A Day in a Life live from Italy included there. And if you can find the bootleg of an acoustic session that Sting did in the mid-90s as part of the Ten Summoners Tales tour, you can find an acoustic version of A Day in a Life as well. So A Day in a Life ends in a big crescendo of the orchestra. And after the last note, there's a bit of gibberish going to the end grooves of the vinyl. And then there's a bit of a high frequency sound which George Martin put there specifically to annoy your dog. So that's it for the first episode of Pinoy Beatles Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. All music from this podcast comes from my albums. And I'll give a link in the show notes below. I'll leave you now with a version of A Day in a Life by my band, The Brad Cave. Until next time. I read the news to tell boy About a lucky man made the grave And now the news was rather sad
understand. 